You're listening to another New Hope Chapel, New Hope Chapel podcast. podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from Bill Smith, a member of our teaching team, as he continues our series called The Master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to come before you covered in the blood of your Son, knowing that our names are written in the book of life, and we come to you. To come to know you now, and so the, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, another in this series of Jesus as Master, and I just got to say, I'm loving this whole series of Jesus as Master, I don't know if you are, or at least I'm enjoying the ones I do, anyway. <laughs> but I'm really loving the ones that everybody else is doing. Today we're going to take a look at Jesus as Master over circumstance. But before we begin, as I always do, I have to read the disclaimer, and that is, the material in this sermon is provided for general information only, is not intended to contain or convey medical advice or instruction. Mud has not always been found to cure blindness. Always consult with your physician or other appropriate healthcare professionals before making any changes in diet, physical activity, and or drug therapy. So, how's the world treating you? Anybody ever ask you that? Or you ask people that? Years ago, when people would ask that to me, and I would say, you know, uh, whatever, another day, another dollar, and they'd say, you get a whole dollar and all that kind of stuff. And then one day I asked somebody, how's the world treating you? And he said, oh, the world doesn't treat me, I treat the world. And I thought, there's my new answer. That's what I'm going to say to people. I, the world doesn't treat me, I treat the world. Jesus has master over circumstance. As we take a look at this aspect of how he's mastering what's going on around him, that's what circumstance means. Uh, conditions that are accompanying or surrounding or influencing some event. That's where we have words like circle and circumference, that which is going on around us. And so as we come in today's uh, section of Scripture in John, we're going to take a look at John chapter 9, where we see Jesus is going to heal a man born blind with, by putting mud on his eyes. But before we get into talking about John 9, I want to give us a context here of what the circumstances are that Jesus is in at this point. And I'd really like to go back to when he was just a young lad, and we see him in the temple confounding the temple scholars. He's already beginning to make a name for himself, and not necessarily a good name. And then as we come into John chapter 2, we see him on his, on his first day, really in a sense his first day on the job, and what he's getting ready to do here, I would advise you as a professional coach and, and counselor not to do on your first day on the job. See, the new guy always has a better way to do things, don't they? <laughs> so your first day on the job, it, you know, I know you see a lot of things going wrong, better ways to do things, but unless you're Jesus, unless you're a master of your circumstance, you might not want to do that. And then in the third chapter of John, we see one of those people who's the ruling class there, a member of the ruling council, Nicodemus, comes at night and starts asking him questions. 
And instead of putting his arm around him and supporting him, Jesus actually insults him. He says, you call yourself a teacher of Israel. He's holding people accountable, isn't he? In John chapter 4, the Pharisees hear that Jesus is acquiring and baptizing more disciples than John, and they were already upset about John. And Jesus is even doing better than John is, so he departs for Galilee, and so he changes the circumstances he's in. And in the fifth chapter, he heals a lame man on the Sabbath, and the Jews get very upset, and they persecuted him. He makes himself equal with God, and so the Jews are trying all the harder to kill him. And in the sixth chapter, the Jews are now complaining about him because he said, I'm the bread that, come, that came down from heaven. And they're disputing among each other, how can this man give us bread to eat? And now he's starting to lose some of his followers. You see, I've got to really advise Jesus, you're not doing so well in your career here. People are starting to leave you. You need to change your act. But Jesus remains true to himself. And he did not wish to go into Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. And there was considerable complaining about him among the crowds. And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? And then the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. And then in the eighth chapter, they bring a woman to him caught in adultery. And they're trying to trip him up to to bring charges against him in some way. And Jesus' response is not to cower, not not to shy away. But he gets right back at them and he says, you're looking for an opportunity to kill me because there's no place for you in my word. You are from your father, the devil. Now, I've got to advise him, if he keeps this up, it's just a matter of time. So they're going to start picking up stones to throw at him. And that's exactly where we find him in the, this chapter we're going to take a look at today, chapter 9 of John. So I'll read this to you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as, as, as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with a saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, as you look at any passage of Scripture, especially when you're getting ready to do some kind of teaching on Scripture as you study it, different things will tend to jump out at you, or you'll look for things that might jump out that you can talk about. And I was quite surprised what jumped out at me. The first few words of that, that section, as he went along, as he went along, he's just going about his merry way. He's got a price on his head. They're trying to arrest him. They're arguing, complaining about him. They're trying to throw stones about him, and he's just going along. I don't know about you, if it was me and I had a price on my head, they were trying to kill me and they're throwing stones at me, I would not be going along. But that's what he's doing. He's just going along and he's looking at what the father is doing and he notices a man born blind. He notices someone else who needs him and needs his help and that's what his attention is drawn to. You see, in life there are three variables. There's you, the situation, and the other person. And of those three things, two of those you can affect. And neither one of those is the other person. What you can more easily affect is your attitude, who you are, your identity, and the situation. But when you wait around for the other people to get better so that you can enjoy life more, you're going to wait a long time. Sometimes I work with people who continually blame their mother for their problems in life. And when they won't stop, I eventually say, well, let's do this. You bring your mother in here, and I will fix your mother. But I need to know once I fix your mother, will you get better? And they say, well, no. 
So let's look for something else you can do because she's going to keep being who she is, but you have control or change your influence over your choices that you're making in life. And so in the next section of this passage, the community is quite amazed with what's happened here. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. You know, you may have already found this out, but the people who know you best or think they know you best are probably going to be least likely to support you especially the ones who knew you back in the day. When I was, uh, I was on the faculty at Air University, and it was one of the best jobs I ever had. The people there were superb, and about 10 years later, I got to meet up with some of the guys, sort of a little reunion. And each of us were going about talking about what we're doing now in life. And I shared that I was now traveling around the world teaching leadership courses in Fortune 500 companies, you know, trying to impress a little bit. And then one of them started laughing, and he said, uh, you're teaching the same stuff we were teaching back at our university. There's nothing different going on. And they all laughed, so I laughed too. Yeah. <laughs> but inside I'm like, no. I'm teaching stuff I did on my own research when I did my doctoral program. I'm not the same guy. But we'll laugh along. I'm the same guy. Nothing new about me. Because people don't like to, to live around people who are living more than they are. And so I just went along with that. You've all been through something like that. We talked about Rahab this past year a couple times, and excellent teaching, learned a lot. But there's something that continually bothers me about that whole story. And that is, she hides the Israelite spies where? Up on the roof in the flax that she had laid out. Now, I don't know really anything about how prostitutes do their business. I have no reason to know how they do that. I don't use that service, okay? And I don't know how they did it back in the day, but was laying out flax on the roof part of that whole job? Was that somehow part of the deal? And she, she also had a rope there as well. So I looked up what's flax used for. To this day, you know what they use flax for? Making cloth and making shoes, and they weave it into rope. And she happened to have a rope. I guess, do all prostitutes have ropes or something? I don't know. Maybe everybody has flax back in that day. I don't know. But there's something else that catches my attention. She says to them, when we heard about what your God is doing, our hearts melted. She is a woman whose heart was melted. I think she used to be Rahab the harlot. I think when they met her, she was Rahab the merchant. But guess how everybody remembers her? Even history remembers her as Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot. But I think she was probably Rahab, the merchant, and that's why she had a rope, because that's what she was selling, and taking care of her family as well, because her heart was melted. You know, even with Jesus, didn't they do the same thing? The, the Pharisees, when they heard about him, remember what they said? Isn't that, isn't that Joseph, the carpenter's son? Is that guy from Galilee? Nothing good ever came out of Bethlehem, and they dismiss him. And sometimes people dismiss us when they think of this is how you used to be. And that's, that's not so fun. That's not so good. 
I didn't enjoy when they were putting me down. You're not doing anything new. But there's only one thing worse than that. And that is when you do it to yourself. Because you are a new creation in Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. You are allowed to talk about yourself that way, this new person that God has made you. Well, then the Pharisees who want to get involved. And so the, the, the people brought this guy to the Pharisees, the man who had been born blind. And now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I wash and now I see. Now, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. Well, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. See, his own parents are throwing him under the bus, too. His parents said this because they were afraid. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. But they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. People tend to value process over results. I also teach courses on negotiation, and I talk about styles of negotiation. And one of those styles I talk about is the, is the hard style, the power player, the person who likes to have the fight, enjoys mixing it up. They like to intimidate and threaten people and get in your face in order to get concessions from you. And they also tend to value that process over the results they get. In other words, if they don't have a fight, then they can't experience the processes, that the, re the result that they got. They will, do, they will devalue it. It's called reactive de devaluation. If you concede to me too easily, I know that it must not be of any value, and so I dismiss it. Well, some years ago, I was mentioning teaching this in class, and right as I said that part, if they don't have a fight that they win, no matter what results they get, they won't be able to experience them, won't appreciate them. A guy in the back of the room says, oh, no, real loud. And I said, is there a problem? And he goes, well, as you were going through the hard style, I'm sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah, get in there, mix it up, you know. He said, but then when you said if they don't have a fight, they might have good results but not realize it. That's when I said, oh, no. And I said, well, what's your story? I'll give you the short version of it. He had uh, turned, uh, he said, I turned 45 earlier this year. My wife said, what do you want for your 45th birthday? And he said, well, if you really want to know, I want to get a truck. I've been wanting a truck for a long time. So she finally said, okay, get your truck. He said, so I did all the research, and I went to the dealership, and this truck I wanted was like 28500 28, And my research, I thought I might, if I really worked hard, get them down to 24500 knock 4000 off. So after I took the test drive, I sat down with the, with the agent and said, so you know I'm not going to pay sticker price. What's the best you can do for me? And the salesperson said, if you buy the truck today, you have to buy it today. I can give it to you for $23,500. He says, he's starting out below where I'm trying to get down to. So he's like, how much? <laughs> 23500 
okay, shake hands, get the keys, sign the stuff. He says, I'm driving the truck home, you know. Something not right. <laughs> By the time he got home, he doesn't like his truck. And so his wife comes out, oh, it's gorgeous. He goes, oh. and he goes in the house, he's internet, starts calling up other dealers. Could you do this? No. Three or four different dealers he called. They all said, no, we couldn't do that deal. But still, it wasn't enough. He took the truck back the next day because in many states you have three days to finalize that decision. Took it back the next day, tore up the contract. The salesperson said, what's wrong? He says, I don't know. Something's not right here. Four months later, he's sitting in my class. <laughs> and when I said, if they don't have a fight that they can win, they could have fantastic results but still not think they do. And that's when he said, oh, no. He said, I, I probably had a good deal. I said, see, you're still doing it. Probably had a good deal. Still don't believe it. What should the salesperson done? He should have put up a big fight like, oh, you're killing me here, you know. <laughs> he could have sold it for 27.5. <laughs> Valuing process over results is what they're doing. Fortunately, this doesn't go on anymore, well, except last Monday. It was reported in Rockville, Illinois, a church in Rockville that has been housing homeless people during the northern Illinois coldest winter nights was told by the city officials that they have to shut down their ministry. The city says the Apostolic Pentecostals of Rockford Church are violating zoning issues and safety hazards. They're putting these homeless people in harm's way. Get them back out of that church in that eight-degree weather. It's much better because we have a better process, a better way of doing things. We all do this a little bit, right? I appreciate Scott so much last week sharing with us how he prayed and prayed and prayed, but specifically you could give me a job on my birthday or Valentine's Day, all that. And then when he finally said, I give up, Lord, whatever you want to do, do it your way. And Scott's heart became open to the possibility. Of course, I told Scott afterwards, I said, I bet right after you prayed that, Jesus said, thanks, Scott but I already have been doing it my way the whole time. <laughs> I told him I said that. People say God works in some mysterious ways. Does he? From God's perspective, they're not mysterious ways. There are mysterious ways, at least as we look at him, how we're valuing certain processes over the results that we're trying to get. John 3 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And so it is with you too. Everyone who is born of the Spirit, God is working through you. Better come over here where the connection's not getting lost. The heart is just like a parachute. It works better when it opens up. So I wonder if our answers to prayer are possibly being delayed because our heart is only open to one possible answer. And so in the next section, the Pharisees reopen the investigation and they're going to pass judgment on the man. A second time, they summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. and You don't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become my, his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You know, a lot of teachers don't like people teaching them, right? Uh, when I first started doing this kind of business 15 some years ago, and I thought I was somebody, and sometimes people would come up to me afterwards and they'd start teaching me stuff they knew. And, and I, my ego would get a little offended by that. And then the Lord uh, continued to work in my life, and now I look forward to it. Oftentimes after I talk, people come up and share, not usually to contradict me, but to share something else they know, and I become quite eager to hear what they have to say as well. But at this section here, I think what, you know, I'm sure that's recorded right, but I think it probably went more something like this. When this guy is being interrogated, he's saying, this is what happened to me, and they keep questioning him. And he says, I don't know how many times I get to tell you this, but the, the part of the story I think you're missing, I was blind, and now I can see. You don't seem to pick up on that part. Because, see, I, what, what's that? Yeah, he came by. Okay, I'm going to start from the whole beginning. Okay, I was begging like I always am. And on the Sabbath is always a good day, people more generous. And people coming by, I can hear different things. And I hear, obviously, what are disciples talking to the rabbi. And I figured out pretty quickly they've been talk, they're talking about me because they call them rabbi. And I thought, here we go again. You know how many times rabbis have walked by here and their disciples have asked about me? And you know what the rabbis always say? They say the same thing. It was his parents who were born in sin, and he was born steeped in sin. It's all his fault. Every time. So as soon as they started, I just tuned a deaf ear. But then this rabbi said something different. He said, it's neither reason. And when he said that, I became very focused on what he had to say. Because no rabbi had ever said this about me before. And when he said it wasn't his fault or his parents' fault, my heart began to beat a little faster. What, what is it then? What's, what's the reason I'm like this, Rabbi? I'm wondering. And then he says, it's my life. The purpose of my life is for God to reveal and display his power through me. That's why I'm here. Then my heart really began to beat fast. My life has a purpose. Now, look. I wasn't getting so egotistical to think that this would all be captured and recorded for all history and people would be talking about me for time and memorial. I didn't expect that to happen. But that's exactly what happened. And so when this rabbi, I could hear him getting closer to me. And, so, and I heard him spit. I, you know, my hearing being blind is excellent. I can tell when people are spit. He spit. I'm like, rabbi, spitting. It's okay. <laughs> He's a rabbi. And then, then something I figured, he spit on the ground, but it sounded like he was picking that up, and then he put this, what was obviously mud, and I knew it was made out of spittle. You know why? It was warm. And when he started to put that on my eyes, I, I made no objection whatsoever. He said it wasn't my fault. He said I, my life has a purpose. He could have covered my whole body with mud. I wouldn't care. No rabbi had talked about me like this. So when he said, get up and go to, the, to, the, to Salome to pull the wash, you know, anybody else who would have said that to me, I would have thought, not on the Sabbath. I wouldn't do that on the Sabbath. You could get accused of stuff. 
but the rabbi told me, so I mu- it must have been okay. And that's when I went and I washed, and afterwards I could see. And I really want to highlight that part of the story again. <laughs> I was blind, and now I can see, and I think you're missing the point here. Give glory to God by telling the truth, is what they said. Well, give glory to God by saying what I already have concluded. Give glory to God by agreeing with me. Is that how you give glory to God? This is good news, because there's a couple people that I want to go up to and speak some truth to. I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you the truth. Not only are you ignorant and stupid, but you're also socially inappropriate. Glory to God, I'm just telling the truth here. Not only are you ugly, you smell bad too. Glory to God, I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> Isaiah 43.7 tells us why we were created. It says, everyone who was called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, like the man born blind. I have formed him, yes, I have made him. In the oral Torah, which is the second most sacred uh, Hebrew scripture, there's a story that says, God says to Abraham, if it weren't for me, you wouldn't exist. And Abraham says to God, true, but if it weren't for me, you wouldn't be known. And God says, well done. A while back, Beth was, uh, just a few weeks ago, Beth was sharing with me what she was learning in her Beth Moore study she's going through. And she wanted to share with me what Beth Moore talks about with regard to glorifying God. It's particularly important to her and me because we came from a church, from a denomination, where that's pretty much all they ever talked about. It's just ad nauseum after a while. Glorify God, glorify God, give glory to God. And it, would, it turned into more of give God credit for things and or do stuff that makes God look good. And after a while, that got a little bit, you know, <laughs> got a little bit wearing. That's all we ever talked about, which always sets you up for constantly failing, by the way. Beth Moore talks about how to glorify God, and I agree with what she's saying. So I came up with a stepwise process of how to glorify God. Step one, allow the character of God to shine through you. Permit the essence of who God is that's been placed in you by Jesus. Jesus said, if, if you abide in me, I and my Father will abide in you. Permit that to seep out. Allow it. To, don't make it. Don't force it. Look, there's no shoulds or oughts in this, this little dialogue, one, well, monologue we're having. No shoulds or oughts. You must do this. So I'm not putting that on you. You already got it. Just let it come out. The, the, the hard part, maybe, if there's such a thing, is this. When God communicates to us, you know that still, small voice? They're always like these feather-light whispers that you could do this or notice this and so on. It's never, hey, there's an opportunity, go there. You know, it was really clear to me God wanted me to do this. 99.999% of the time, it's like, Of course, by the time you think you heard something, the circumstances that surround us have become distracting to us. That's step one. Just allow. You know what the first word that God, the recorded word of God, the very first word that God spoke is? What is it? Let. Not force. Now, here's step two. Repeat step one. That's my checklist right there. That's all you got. Okay. 
So when his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither is parents or him, that his life could be used for a purpose. The rabbis said, you are steeped in sin, teaching exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching. So while the Pharisees were about the business of deciding what is right and how to glorify God, Jesus is about the business of glorifying God. So you want to talk, you want to fish. You want to make decisions, you want to go out and be a blessing to people. So Jesus was about the business of glorifying God as he went along, as we go along day to day. He sees someone in need. I appreciate Scott's vulnerability last week, admitting he's not perfect. It always disappoints me because he seems like he's got it together, and then he tells us where he's failed. So I've got to do the same. Friday, as I was driving home from New Jersey, a lot of traffic there on 287, I thought typical. But then as I realized there was a car broken down in the middle lane, and that we were all trying to get around that. So as I pulled around the left-hand side, I looked, that car's not broken down. It's, it's something's wrong with it because it's turned sort of slightly askew. And as I pulled around the side, I rubbernecked like everybody else to look in there because I saw that the front end of the car smashed in on the left side. I could see the airbag was deployed, and I could see a woman sitting there in the car like this. <clears throat> she was in pain as I drove by. And then there was this feather-light whisper that said, pull right in front of her and get out and go back and comfort her because there's no EMT people here yet. It just happened. I heard that whisper. But then I began to notice around me, the circumstances around me, other cars pulling in and around, and I got so concerned with that, I continued to drive on. And I missed my opportunity to minister to someone. I wonder how many opportunities to minister to others will I begin to see when I move from being a victim of my circumstances and instead become a master of my circumstances, like my rabbi did. And so my prayer is, Lord, to glorify yourself through my life. I'm available. I'm willing for you to do that. You see, when Jesus was baptized, he said, Father, glorify yourself. And they hear a voice come out of heaven and says, I have and I will. Jesus did not say to the people around him, glorify God. He asked his Father to glorify himself. So if you've gotten caught up in the trap that you're supposed to get into heaven or somehow be closer to God because you're glorifying him and you're frustrated with that lifestyle as a Christian, you might try this approach. Just let, allow, permit God to glorify himself through you and you go along for the ride. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then Jesus follows up on the investigation. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found out, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I want to pause there for a second. How do you think Jesus found that out? Well, when somebody's thrown out of a synagogue, I would imagine that would be a pretty big deal, right? And so what would happen? Everybody's talking about it. It was just a, probably a matter of, of minutes or less than an hour it spread through. Why are they talking about it? Well, just to gossip. Did you, you know, did you hear what happened? But the other reason is, by the way, when you see that guy, you want to stay away from him. He's been kicked out of the synagogue. He is unclean. So you go away from him. What's Jesus do? Exactly the opposite. He goes and looks for him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he, sir, that I may also believe in him? And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus is really the master of circumstance, isn't he? 
And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him, see, they're still hanging with him, not trying to find an opportunity. The Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And he seeks him out. He looks for him to be with him, to comfort him. You know, when others reject you, when they put you down, or they marginalize you, or they make you invisible, or they don't listen to your point of view, or they downsize you, or they don't hire you, or they don't give you the business proposal that you asked for, and your heart feels broken, you feel rejected, remember this. As soon as that happens, Jesus is going to come looking for you, to be with you. When I was dating Beth, at one point she broke off the relationship which made sense to do because I was coming on a little bit too strong. But you can't blame me. Look how gorgeous she is, okay? (laughs) And as I drove away from her house, I was devastated. I mean, my heart was completely crushed. But within a few minutes, something interesting happened. In that seat right next to me, I can still see that seat just like it was yesterday. All of a sudden... Jesus was sitting in that seat. I knew he was there. And the moment I realized he was riding right along with me, he came and sought me out and found me. The whole drive home, I don't even remember. I was on on air. He came and sought me out. And then a week or two later, uh, he, I guess, worked on on her heart as well, and she accepted me back so I can have another opportunity to eventually trick her into marrying me. Okay. (laughs) Jesus removed judgment from the blind man, but he passed judgment on the Pharisees. Those who judged became judged. And so the Lord asks me, how's the world treating you, Bill? And I say, "Uh, the same way it always does, Lord, with contempt, cruelty, confusion, and intimidation. And then he said, and how are you treating the world? And so I say, I'm learning to treat the world the same way you did, with kindness, compassion, patience, and forgiveness. And the Lord said, then you are on your way to becoming a master just like me. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And you can do it, and you can do it. You all can do it. Christ in us, the hope of glory. As the music team comes forward, let us pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you always seek us out. Whenever we've been rejected, we thank you, Father, that you are patient with us. We thank you that you whisper to us in a still, small voice. I pray you would attune our hearing so that we can hear it crystal clear whenever there's opportunities for us to be used by you to display the works of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen and amen. 
Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.